Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Today, I had the honor to connect with my friend and colleague, Kevin Ellis, the bone coach. We dove deep into his background and interest in osteoporosis and celiac disease. The role of bone health, as well as osteopenia and osteoporosis, the contributors that impact bone health, including lifestyle drugs and chronic diseases, conventional treatments for osteoporosis and why they're problematic, ways to address osteoporosis in a proactive manner, the role of the gut microbiome and bone health, as well as a study discussing the impact of blood pressure, accelerating bone aging, and the impact of insulin resistance. I hope you will enjoy this podcast as much as I did recording it, as so many women in particular are impacted by not only osteopenia, but osteoporosis throughout their lifetime. Kevin, it's so great to have you on the podcast. I've been really looking forward to diving deep into bone health. Well, I'm excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Yeah. So what got you so interested and passionate about bone physiology and bone coaching? Well, so my own personal health journey, like so many other people that start out in the health space, it's their own personal health journey. For me, it was being diagnosed with osteoporosis in my early thirties at a really young age. And my health journey really started when I was a lot younger when my mother was five months pregnant with me, my father was told he had cancer. Two months after I was born, he passed away. And he was 35 years old at that time. And, you know, my entire life, I grew up kind of feeling like 35 was going to be my finish line. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, I started having all these different health issues. And I had really high stress. I had poor sleep. I had gut health and digestive issues. And then I was diagnosed with celiac disease, the autoimmune condition that damages the villi when you eat gluten. And then I was subsequently told I had osteoporosis. So here I am, this tough Marine who you know is thinking in his head, like, how could this possibly be? How could I have been so tough and gone through all these things and then come out and have weak bones? And you know, at the same time, I had young kids that were going to be on the way. And I was just worried that I was going down that same path of my father and I was going to have, you know, head to an early grave. And that was really my impetus for wanting to get into the research and start doing these things was so I could benefit myself first. As along the way, I started learning all about bone health, the research, the reading, consulting with different experts, spending a lot of money trying to figure all this stuff out. I realized it's not the 30 year old male that's dealing with this is trying to figure these things out. It's the woman usually 50 to 65 plus with osteopenia, with osteoporosis that's told, Hey, you have osteoporosis. Here are your options. Take some calcium, take some vitamin D, go for a walk. And here's your bone drug. We'll see you in one year for your next bone density scan. That is woefully inadequate. And oftentimes just not the right approach for so many people. And that's really, I realized I could help a lot of people here. So we developed bone coach. I became a health coach. I built out a team of credentialed experts and we developed a program that's now helped people in over 1500 cities around the world. I've uh, been featured in Forbes and a lot of other places. And it's just exciting to see the people that we're helping and the lives we're changing. What an incredible pain to purpose story. And one that I was saying to you before we started recording, I can't think of a lot of people talking about bone health, but yet it's so important and when I was preparing for this interview, it's interesting. I'm going to just read some statistics. 95% of maximum bone density is by the age of 17. So I have teenagers at home, both males, you know, men, it's 21 years old. So 17 years old for women, 21 for males and after 30. So our peak bone and muscle mass are in our twenties and thirties. After 30, there's a gradual decline and natural bone mass reduction, but we don't talk about this. We don't even worry about it until someone gets a screening DEXA, maybe when they're 50, maybe when they're 40 and they have no idea. And so let's talk about the impact. Like what is osteopenia versus osteoporosis? And understanding that osteoporosis is one example impacts 44 million Americans. I mean, that's a staggering amount of people that are walking around with poor bone health. 
Yeah. So osteoporosis literally means porous bone. And it's a condition that's characterized by either not enough bone formation, excessive bone loss, or it's a combination of the two of those things. And in osteoporosis, both your bone density and your bone quality are reduced. And that's going to increase your risk of fracture. Now, the way you find out you have osteoporosis is through what's called a DEXA scan. That's dual energy x-ray absorptiometry painless test, kind of like an x-ray, very low levels of radiation. You lay down on the machine, the machine does a scan, and it tells you your bone mineral density, the actual mineral content of your bone. Then what it does is it generates a score. And that score is called a T-score. And the T-score is basically telling you how much your bone mass differs from the bone mass of an average healthy 30-year-old adult. If you've got a score of zero or you know somewhere plus one, minus one, somewhere there, that's considered normal and healthy. If you've got a minus one to a minus 2.5, that's considered osteopenia, uh, what most of us call low bone mass. And it's like a precursor to osteoporosis. You've got a score of minus 2.5 or lower. So minus 2.6, minus 2.7, so on and so forth. That's considered osteoporosis. And the greater that negative number becomes, the more severe the osteoporosis. Now, most people, and you know this well, most people are not getting these until later on in life till their 50s, 60s, maybe not even till they're 65 or older, but I recommend people get them a lot younger, their 30s, their 40s, something like that. So you have at least one objective measurement from which you can monitor future changes so that when you hit menopause or you become postmenopausal and you have some reduction in bone loss, that you're not just surprised because you may not have actually had peak bone mass or reached it in your younger years too. Well, and it's interesting because how many women are on oral contraceptives? And as one example, oral contraceptives are keeping your sex hormones low. And how many women are on them from their teenage years until maybe they're 30 years old, until they start trying to have a family and they don't understand they've missed out on all these years of healthy bone development. And yet, you know, I understand we take oral contraceptives to help with contraception or to quote unquote fix PCOS or other types of menstrual irregularities. But as someone who was on oral contraceptives for a chunk of my young adulthood and is osteopenic now, Mm -hmm. I start reflecting back, like, what could we have done differently? You know, what could have happened? And the other thing about osteopenia that I find really interesting is it's really a diagnosis that's been driven by the pharmaceutical industry because you can't compare a 30-year-old's bone to a 50-year-old's and expect them to be the same. It would be unusual. Can you speak to that? Like, what has been your experience? I think a lot of people here, I have osteopenia and they automatically, you know, they get this diagnosis or I'm going to put that in air quotes. It really isn't a diagnosis. They get this attachment to their bone health. And all of a sudden they're fearful that that determines for them that they absolutely positively are going to end up developing osteoporosis. And it doesn't have to be the case. Yeah. So a couple of things there. I mean, osteopenia is that's what most people are told they have, but we would refer to it as low bone mass, right? It's not a formal diagnosis, but that's what someone's going to be told they have. And that's when I'm communicating with people, that's the language they know. So that's the language I'll use, but then I'll tell them, Hey, it's low bone mass. And there's more to the picture than just your bone density score. So the bone density score, I just talked about a T score that's comparing your bone density to the bone mass of a healthy, approximately 30 year old adult, no matter what your age is, but there's also a Z score. And that's comparing your bone mass to somebody who is the same age as you also. So that's going to probably be a better score to look at, especially if you're a younger person. Then the other part of this is that when you get a bone density scan, it's only giving you part of the picture. So bone density is the actual mineral content of your bone. Bone quality is the structural integrity of that bone, the microarchitecture, how that bone is organized. Those two things combine to create bone strength. So a lot of times you only have part of the picture at the time of diagnosis and diagnosis happens in 15 minutes. You get your bone density scan results back, calcium, vitamin D, go for a walk. Here's your bone medication. And there's more information that you have to have. Another piece of information you have to have is that bone density scan, especially if you only have one, it can't tell you if you're actively losing bone right now, right? So a single bone density scan won't tell you that. What can tell you that are what are called bone turnover markers. So one of them is a serum CTX or a CT low peptide test. And this test looks at the activity level of cells 
that are breaking down bone. If that activity level is elevated or even really high, that can be an indicator of active bone loss and a root cause issue that needs to be addressed. There's also NTX, that's another one. And then there are bone formation markers too that you can look at. P1NP is one of them. That's pro-collagen type 1 N-terminal propeptide. That's the most sensitive marker for bone formation. Uh, but these are just some of the things that you can look at that, again, the single bone density scan is not going to give you that part of the picture. And so I would imagine that it's probably a functional or integrative medicine provider that's going to offer those additional bone turnover tests. They would probably lead, a functional provider would probably lead with those tests. You would probably have to ask, you're going to have to ask your general practitioner and the general practitioner, they might not even order them because the physician does not understand how to interpret a test. They're likely not going to order it for you. So they may send you out to an endocrinologist. Bones are an endocrine organ. So they may send you out to an endocrinologist to get that test done. The endocrinologist may or may not order it for you. So that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And so some of the more common things that impact bone health, you know, lifestyle pieces, you know, medications, what are some of the more common things that you're seeing with your clients that are impacting bone in negative ways? Yeah, there are actually different types of osteoporosis. And I think it's really important to distinguish between the two. So there's primary osteoporosis that's typically related to a decrease in estrogen in postmenopausal women. Estrogen has a protective effect on bone. When estrogen levels decrease as they do during menopause, that's going to cause an increase in the activity level of cells that break down bone. But then there's a whole nother cause of osteoporosis, and that's secondary osteoporosis. And that's where you know osteoporosis is occurring because you know behaviors, disorders, diseases, medications, all of those different things. So an important note we need to make here is that just because you're a postmenopausal woman does not mean that is the sole cause of your bone loss. A lot of times I hear physicians uh, sharing with their patients, oh, it's just hormones or this is the natural part of aging. There could be more things that need to be investigated. And that leads into secondary osteoporosis. If you're younger or you're a male even, and you've got bone loss and osteoporosis, it could be occurring as a result of those different things. So let's even talk about, let's unpack some of those medications. For example, one of the biggest medications that's going to contribute to bone loss, glucocorticoids. These are steroid medications designed to suppress inflammation. They mimic natural steroid hormones in your body, and they're used to treat conditions like uh, rheumatoid arthritis for one, asthma is another, and that would be your prednisone and your cortisone. Now, the way these affect your bones is that it's going to contribute to bone loss, and it's going to reduce your GI absorption of calcium. It's going to increase your urinary excretion of calcium. That's going to create a calcium deficit. But the biggest impact comes from these glucocorticoids acting directly on the cells that break down bone to increase their lifespan. And that's going to reduce your bone density. Another medication, antacids. Okay. So a lot of times people take antacids. These would be drugs that are designed to reduce the production of or suppress your stomach acid. These would be your proton pump inhibitors, like your omeprazole, your Nexium, your Prevacid, or your H2 receptor antagonist drugs like ranitidine or Zantac. Okay. And I took these for a number of years and I took them because I thought I had too much stomach acid. And a lot of times when people think they have too much stomach acid, they oftentimes have too little stomach acid. So when you take these PPIs to suppress that and you're suppressing what little stomach acid you do have, that's a problem because you need stomach acid to properly break down and extract nutrients from your food, like amino acids. Your bones are 50% protein by volume. They need amino acids, calcium, magnesium, iron, B12. If you don't have sufficient stomach acid, your bones and your body are going to be starved of these nutrients. So uh, there are a lot of studies that show long-term use of, of antacids are not going to be good for your bone health. There are quite a few other medications too that SSRIs, that's another one. These are a class of drugs that are typically used as antidepressants. And there was a review of 19 studies on the effect of SSRIs on bone that indicate they have a negative effect on bone density, and they are going to increase the risk of fracture. Uh, there are quite a few other medications. I would talk about too, some of the other diseases and conditions that can contribute to bone loss. Anything that's relating to or affecting the digestive system. And we can even just talk about the uh, celiac disease is one of them. Now, for me, being diagnosed with celiac disease and malabsorbing nutrients for many, many years, that was a primary 
cause of my, it was a secondary cause of my osteoporosis at an early age. So if you're listening to this and you have celiac disease, or maybe you just have digestive issues, be aware that your bones are likely being affected. So if you suspect that you have celiac disease, or even if you don't get tested, rule it out, make sure that you don't have celiac disease. And if you do have celiac disease, go to your physician. It doesn't matter if you're in your late twenties. I've worked with people as low as their late twenties. It doesn't matter if you're in your late twenties, your thirties, forties, fifties or higher, go get a bone density scan, request one, say, I have celiac disease. I'm concerned about bone loss. They will order it for you. Okay. And that way you have an objective measurement. Then the other ones, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. Those are some other ones that we have to be aware of can contribute to digestive issues and issues with our bones. And then I would say also rheumatoid arthritis. I kind of touched on that before, but not just because of the glucocorticoid use, but also any of these autoimmune conditions that we have that are maybe creating inflammation in the body. If it's creating inflammation in the body, that's going to contribute to and fuel bone loss. And it's not going to be helpful for our bones long-term. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs 
in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water and you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. I think it's really helpful to have those connections because I know that when I worked in cardiology, we gave PPIs to everyone and I'm not kidding. Everyone in the hospital was put on a PPI and it's one thing if you're on it, they're designed to be used for short term, less than a month, Mm -hmm. but patients are on them for years. So just thinking about the net impact, I know that statins are also, there's some association with statins and osteoporosis and how many patients are on statins, millions. And I think it's really helpful to know that if you've got an autoimmune condition, you mentioned celiac, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's, we all know that when you have an autoimmune condition, you've got a breach in the small intestinal lining. And so you're leaking proteins into the bloodstream. You are making yourself much more susceptible to developing autoimmune conditions, which is, you know, self on self, your body's attacking itself in different degrees. Now, other things that I thought were really interesting when I was preparing for today is the use of like lifestyle things. So like alcohol, And in particular, uh, tobacco use can also impact bone health in negative ways. Like now we probably don't see as much tobacco use as we did 20, 30 years ago, but certainly alcohol for a lot of people, you know, we're maybe three years into this pandemic. And I know most people I talk to are consuming more alcohol, not less, but just being cognizant of the fact that that can have a negative net impact on not only inflammation in the body, but also can impact your bone health. And the other thing that was interesting, I know we had shared an article, I shared an article earlier this week from American Heart Association, and it was making the connection between hypertension or high blood pressure can accelerate bone loss. But the thing for me is that the reading I did was really talking about the interrelationship between insulin resistance, which we know is at the basis for high blood pressure driving the issue related to bone health. Have you had a lot of clients that you've seen this in as well? Yeah. So, I mean, if you've got, there are a couple of things there that I would touch on. So the first one is I was talking about peak bone mass before you and I had both kind of touched on that is that when you're growing up, you know, 90% of your bone mass is going to be put on by the time you turn age 18. And by the time you turn 30, the remaining 10% approximately will fill in. So if when you're, you're, you were younger, you had poor diet and nutrition, So you weren't getting enough calcium or vitamin D or other important nutrients at a young age, or you ate a lot of sugar, drank a lot of sodas and sugary soft drinks, or you led a sedentary lifestyle. You weren't doing gymnastics or playing sports or doing resistance training. You weren't doing those things, or you smoked or drank excessively and you continued that on, or you're still continuing that today, or you had an eating disorder, or you took certain medications, all of those things can affect you even reaching and attaining peak bone mass. So remember, it may not just be the things you're doing today. It could have been the things that you were doing when you're younger. A lot of times it's a combination of both. So a lot of times it's things you did when you were younger, but things that do need to be addressed today. The other part of this is I touched on sugar there too, but reducing your sugar intake I'm sure you've already driven this home and every health podcast and person drives this one home. I'm going to give it one more for bone health. You need to reduce your sugar intake for bone health. Sugar damages bone by triggering an inflammatory response. It lowers your vitamin D levels. It depletes your bone healthy minerals like your calcium, your magnesium, your chromium, your copper. So you just have to understand that that's not going to be a helpful thing. And the other thing is that blocks the absorption of vitamin C and vitamin C. I'll talk about this in a little bit. It's key for developing and maintaining a healthy skeleton. So really, really important. And then if you've got high blood sugar also, that can damage your bone, well, partially by damaging the kidneys, which is going to make it harder for you to uh, absorb calcium. But then also you'll start to get AGEs. And this is going to be really important to understand because you can actually have these age deformed proteins can actually replace healthy collagen protein in your bones. 
and that's going to lead to weaker bones over time. So just a lot of really important things there when it comes to lifestyle factors that can be impacting your bone health. Well, and I think a lot of people just assume bone is bone. They don't think about the fact that the net impact of the types of foods they're consuming and you know, they're the bulk of the population right now we know is not metabolically healthy. So a lot of people eating a lot of hyper palatable, highly processed foods, but the message we're kind of bringing home is there are things we can change that can impact bone health in positive ways. Now, let's talk about the kind of conventional allopathic approach to osteoporosis, osteopenia, you know, it's really, really interesting that, you know, I was practicing as an NP for a long time before we started seeing the development of some of these drugs that were designed to help women, predominantly women, but there are some men as well, predominantly women that have osteoporosis that have a lot of side effects. So if you're taking things like Zometa, Beniva, Actinel, Fosamax, they are not without side effects, but I'd love for you to touch on this. Yeah. So I always liken the use of medications to that old economic adage, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? There's a risk associated with everything. There's short and long-term side effects and implications of use of all of these things. And when it comes to bone medications or bone drugs, it's not like taking an aspirin. These have a dramatic effect on bone physiology and short and long-term implications of use. So there are two different categories of these medications. There are anti-resorptives and there are anabolics. Anti-resorptives would be, these are drugs that are designed to slow down the activity level of cells that break down bone. So this would be your bisphosphonates, like Fosamax, like Boniva, like Reclast, those kinds of drugs. And then it could also be your rank ligand inhibitors, like Prolia, for example. Those are all anti-resorptives. Now for bisphosphonates specifically, the safety and efficacy is not really well known beyond five years. And as you and I are going about our daily lives, doing our daily activities, working out, exercising, doing things around the house, all those things, we're getting these little micro cracks and damage in our bones. That's normal. Happens with everybody. And then what happens is you have cells within the bone called osteocytes, and they sense that damage. They're like orchestrators of the bone remodeling process. They sense that damage and they send out a signal. And that signal goes to these other bone cells one of them is called osteoclast and the osteoclasts come in and they scoop out that damaged bone. And then it's a coupled process right behind it comes the osteoblast that fill in stronger, healthier bone. What happens is though, you can actually slow down the activity level of cells that break down or that clear out that damaged bone. You can slow that down too much to where over time you start to accumulate that old, worn, damaged, weakened bone. And that's why even if you're taking some of those medications, your bone density may show higher in some situations, but it might not actually be stronger bone. So really important to note there. And then with anabolic medications, these are the other ones. And a lot of times an anabolic medication, I can't always be, I am pro do everything you possibly can naturally before considering medication as an option. That's kind of my approach. And I would say 90% of the people I work with, they're trying to do everything they possibly can naturally. And that's how we support them. At the same time, I have seen situations where medication has been necessary and life-saving. So that's kind of the little caveat I have to put in there. Anabolics are medications that are usually proposed to people that have already fractured or they've had you know, low trauma fractures or really poor quality bone, and they need an intervention very quickly. And the anabolic is designed to build bone, build better quality bone and build it faster. And they do that as long as you've addressed the root cause issues and things like that, they can do that. But the drugs would be Forteo, Vinity, and Timlos. And, but with these drugs, you have to understand you can only use them for a certain period of time. There's a time limit on their use. And then this is the big one. You have to follow that drug with another drug, with an anti-resorptive, just to not lose the bone you just gained. And so many people don't get this level of education about these medications in that 15 minute conversation when they're diagnosed and they just jump right into it without understanding that you may be committing to a medication, not just for a short period of time, for a couple of years, or maybe even the rest of your lifetime. And I think that's really important that as clinicians, when we're talking to patients, that we give them the full understanding of the implications of taking that medication. And as you stated, 
there are times when it's appropriate for people to be on medications, but understanding it's not just that drug, it will then lead to another drug. And one really interesting statistic that I found is, you know, for those that are taking biphosphates, the longer you take them, the greater the risk for mandibular necrosis. So this is actual, you know, damage to the bone in your jaw and atypical femoral fractures, which I saw a lot of this in the ER, as well as atrial fibrillation, which is a a heart arrhythmia, which I saw a lot of, and then an eye issue called uveitis. So just really interesting. Like as I was diving down this rabbit hole to get prepared for today, I was like, there's longstanding issues. It's not just the bone. You can also impact heart arrhythmias, eye issues. Um, You can get these, you know, relatively seemingly benign atypical femoral fracture. So you're building bone, but it's not per se healthy bone. And especially with the, I've had a lot of people that talk about, you know, I tried the medication even one time and I, they just had this full body reaction that just basically rejected it, or it really triggered or accelerated different digestive issues that they had. So usually I would always encourage people. And again, consult with your physician, but I would always encourage people to pause when you're in that room and you get told, Hey, I have osteopenia or I have osteoporosis pause and gather more objective information before you just jump right into that decision. Absolutely. And and one thing that I'm starting to find and see is that more now that, you know, hormone therapies are not as vilified as they were 20 years ago after women's health initiative came out, I'm starting to see more providers prescribing estrogen and testosterone therapies to help with bone health. Are you seeing that in your clinical practice as well? Yeah. And we always, you know, hormones are such an important part of this picture and there are preventative things that people can do before they go through menopause, but there are also things that can be done after. I always tell people, and we've got people on our team that help with hormones and things like that. I don't personally or specifically deal with the creation of the plan for hormones for people, but it's an important part. And bioidentical hormone replacement therapy can be an important part of that plan. Estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, all of which are important. And then you just work with somebody to figure out what's the right amount and the right dosing for you. Absolutely. It goes without saying, you know, a lot of the conversations that we have on this podcast is just providing good information. So if you are osteoporotic or osteopenic, you know, starting that conversation with your healthcare provider earlier rather than later, so you can be proactive. Now it's interesting. I was reading in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition that calcium does not reduce fracture risk in postmenopausal women and may actually increase hip fractures. Has that been consistent with what you have been reading as well? Calcium is going to be important, right? But it's it has to be taken or consumed with other nutrients and cofactors. If we look at just calcium or just vitamin D by themselves, and maybe we're supplementing for 500 milligrams or more or something a day, if you don't have these other nutrients and cofactors, that's going to increase cardiovascular disease risk, going to increase risky kidney stones and all those different things. I'm always encouraging people start with your diet and nutrition first. How can we get you to the point? And you need to actually kind of count this out, at least initially count it out, see where you're at from at least your most important nutrients. And we could talk about what some of those other nutrients are in a minute, but get to the point where you are sufficient in some of these nutrients and then where you can't close the gaps or you're having a really challenging time, especially if you're like on an autoimmune protocol or you're you're on a restrictive kind of initial dietary approach that maybe is limiting certain nutrients, that's when we're going to bring in supplementation to close those gaps if and when necessary. Some of the other nutrients, so calcium is obviously one of the nutrients. Yes, it is the primary mineral constituent in your bones. So it is important but we have to have these other nutrients and vitamins and minerals too. So what are those other nutrients? Vitamin D is really important. Most people already know vitamin D and calcium for bone health. Vitamin D is increasing the intestinal absorption of calcium. It's reducing the urinary excretion of calcium. It's going to promote higher bone mineral density. It's going to slow bone loss and have a lot of other positive health impacts for us. Before you actually go supplementing with vitamin D, you need to get a test run to see what your vitamin D levels are at. So a 25 hydroxy vitamin D test, get that run, see where your levels are at. And then for most people in the US, that range is really wide. It's 30 to hundred NGML, right? If you're on the very low range of that, or you're on the upper end of that, you're going to be told that's normal. And 
that's not normal to be up at 100 or more NGML. You can actually get to the point where you're taking too much vitamin D and that can contribute to bone loss too. But if you're on that lower end of the spectrum and you're in the 30s or you're lower, that's also going to be something that has to be addressed. So most of the people are going to recommend right around 50 to 80 NGML, somewhere around there. It's going to vary based on your situation, but that's a good target point. And then as you start supplementing with vitamin D, you want to check your levels every three to six months to see where you're at, to see the effectiveness of the supplement that you're taking, but also to see where your level's at, if you're getting too high or if you need to make adjustments. Maybe you're supplementing a certain amount and it's having zero impact and you need to make adjustments there too. So that's for vitamin D. Another nutrient that's really important, vitamin K, K1, K2. K1 can be converted to K2, but it's not going to happen efficiently. K2 is what's most important for your bone health. K2 is going to aid in bone mineralization. It activates uh, what's called osteocalcin and matrix GLA protein. And what that's going to do is it's going to ensure that the calcium is not going to your soft tissues like your arteries and your kidneys, but that it's going to be directed to your bones. Where it needs to be. And then some of the dietary sources for that. If we're talking about K1, these would be your dark green veggies, your asparagus, your kale, your broccoli, your chard, your all that kind of stuff. If you're talking about K2, there's different forms of K2. There's MK4, and that would be found in like a beef liver, your grass-fed ghee and butter, your dark meat chicken, your pastured egg yolks. Those are sources of MK4. And then MK7 would be your hard cheeses, your fermented foods, sauerkraut, natto, and this is really interesting, bacterial fermentation in our guts. Your gut can actually produce nutrients for your health. That's amazing. We have that within us and it's amazing that it can do that. Do you have any research? Are you talking at all about melatonin? I did a melatonin podcast a few months ago and so it was down the rabbit hole about melatonin. And from what I was reading, it actually helps with bone turnover and promotes osteoblasts. And then it also, we know it's a master antioxidant in the body, but it also protects bone cells from oxidative stress and inflammation. So I typically say, if you're over the age of 40, we make less melatonin. If you're under the age of 40, we want to be conservative with melatonin use. So I'm talking about middle-aged people and older that melatonin has a lot of benefits and it's not just sleep support. Have you been reading anything or using melatonin in your practice? We would always encourage somebody to start. What progress can we make before incorporating or adding that in? But it could be a helpful part of somebody's plan because most people, melatonin is a hormone is produced. It's this tiny gland in the lower back part of the brain called the pineal gland that regulates our circadian rhythm and all these other things. So your immune system, sex hormones, even bone health, Melatonin is super, super important. And in terms of the effect that it's going to have on your bones, it, it does have an important effect and does play an important role. In terms of helping regular circadian rhythm, it's improving bone remodeling by suppressing your bone loss, by promoting bone formation. It actually upregulates the gene expression of proteins and markers for bone formation like alkaline phosphatase, bone morphogenetic protein osteocalcin, osteoprotegerin, those are all things that are being upregulated and promoted for bone formation with melatonin. And then it's eliminating free radicals. And so during the bone breakdown process, these osteoclasts, those cells that break down bone, they're generating these free radicals. And free radicals, if you're not familiar with them, they're, they're basically toxic byproducts of oxygen metabolism that can cause significant damage to cells and tissues through oxidative stress. And then melatonin is actually an antioxidant that can help with that. So it can absolutely be a helpful part of that. Yeah, it's really interesting. Melatonin is one of these like grossly underappreciated hormones. I think people just make the association with sleep and it does so much more than that. What about the net impact of stress on bone health? How does it negatively impact our bone health? If you think of the different types of stressors that we're coming in contact with every day, and I know I would say everybody references the lion, right? Thinking about the lion, but it's not always the lion. It's the fear, the worry, the emotionally charged thoughts, the family conflict, the financial challenges, all of those, or, or this is a big one, keeping up with the perfect lives of the Joneses on social mm -hmm. media. All of those things contribute to and drive that stress response. Now, the stress response is something that we need to do. We need to have that. It's an important part of our health. And that fight or flight response is not a bad thing, but when we're in this 
fight or flight response for too long, we're sending blood and energy and nutrients and resources away from the areas that are not required for immediate survival. And we're sending them to areas that, that need it most, like your muscles and your heart. And then we're communicating to our bodies to secrete adrenaline and cortisol. Both of those, they're critical to our survival as a species, right? But when we're chronically activating this and flooding our bodies with cortisol, that's when we're going to run into problems. And in terms of the issues that we can have, we can have increases in blood sugar, weight gain and obesity, leaky gut, cardiovascular disease risk is going to increase, hormonal imbalances. And then also it's going to decrease your immune system, impact other hormone levels. So your thyroid function is usually downregulated during stressful conditions. And then it's going to affect your mood, your brain health, and your sleep quality. In terms of your bone health specifically, Bone-specific impacts of chronic long-term stress and high cortisol, it's reducing progesterone production, and progesterone is really, really important for your bone health. It's reducing the ability of the osteoblast to form bone. These are the cells that build bone, so it's reducing their ability to do their job. And then we kind of touched on this with glucocorticoids earlier when we were talking about prednisone, but high glucocorticoids are their natural steroid hormones that's what cortisol is, that's going to kill osteocytes. And osteocytes are those orchestrators of the bone remodeling process. So it's going to contribute to and fuel bone loss if you've got chronic long-term stress. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armor colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armor's colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armorous colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. At some point, we've all been sold a big, fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believed that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you, it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high-quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi-Optimizers. Masszymes is a full-spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. With five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today risk free. They have a 365 day full money back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com 
com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Yeah, this is a habitual topic that I discuss in almost every podcast because there's this unfortunate predilection for people to assume that stress is entirely benign. And I remind people acute stress is part of our day-to-day lives. It's chronic stress that can impact us negatively. And I think a lot of people don't think about bone as its own organ, and it really is. So there's systemic effects, localized effects from stress. Now, one area that I'm really excited to talk to you about, and I know we were emailing back and forth, is talking about how our bones and our gut health are interrelated. We've kind of touched on this, yeah. but I think that diving a little deeper into the gut microbiome and the involvement of cytokines and how this impacts bone health is of particular interest because we have so many listeners that have autoimmune issues. I mean, Hashimoto's, you mentioned you personally have had celiac, but so many people have got rheumatoid arthritis. They've got sojourners. I mean, so many people are impacted by, you know, their gut microbiome not being optimized and understanding there's this complex interrelationship with bone health as well. Yeah, there is a major connection between gut health and bone health. As you're taking in food and you're starting to break that down in your mouth, and then it heads to your stomach to be turned in that acidic mix to break it down even further. And then it makes its way to your small intestine, what I call your soil, right? So if you imagine your body and your bones as being like plants, in order to grow, you need the right nutrients and the right conditions, right? So many people focus so much on the nutrients, the salads, those smoothies, those supplements, that they're not considering that soil. And so when it gets to the soil, that's where nutrients are broken down to their final form, where they're going to be absorbed by us, the plants. But- If you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, so good bugs, but maybe in the wrong place, if you have uh, gut infections, if you have an issue like celiac disease or one of the other conditions like IBD, ulcerative colitis or Crohn's, those can all affect your ability to absorb nutrients. And inside our small intestine, we have these things called villi which are like roots in our soil. There are these tiny little hair-like projections that are responsible for absorbing the nutrients from the food you eat. They absorb those nutrients and then they shuttle them to where they're needed inside the body. If you have uh, damage to those roots or those villi, you're going to have a really hard time being able to absorb those nutrients. And again, with celiac disease specifically, this is probably the easiest one to tie to it, is you will actually start to get blunting of those villi to where they can't do their job. And a lot of those nutrients that you're taking in, they're not going to be absorbed. And your body still needs those nutrients to execute its daily functions. So if it's not taking them in from your diet and nutrition, and you're not able to absorb them, where's it going to come from? It's going to go to the largest reserve of nutrients or minerals that you have, which are your bones. And that's where it's going to pull from. So uh, gut health is going to be a major, major issue there that we have to address. And then again, I think I mentioned gut infections, stomach acid production is a huge part of this. Yeah. Those are some of the biggest, biggest things that we need to address. Yeah. It's really important for people to understand that it's not a one size fits all, but understanding that as we're getting older, if we're not taking medications to suppress stomach acid by the age of 40, we're making less of it. We understand that over time, you know, chronic stress can debilitate, can weaken these structures in the digestive system. And understanding that over time, a lot of lifestyle choices can further exacerbate these changes. Now, I got quite a bit of questions for you. Thoughts on OsteoStrong? So OsteoStrong is, uh, they use a concept called osteogenic loading, which is basically loading a bone to induce structural adaptation to get it to become stronger, basically. And I think the way they have it set up is they've got different machines inside a gym, And it's not like a traditional gym. It's you walk in, you've got four machines, you move around, you exert 4.2 times your body weight on these machines. And that's working to stimulate that bone to become stronger. Takes 10 minutes every week. I would always say for people that that would be a compliment, but not a replacement to a full exercise plan, right? Because a lot of times people come to me and they're like, hey, I got this vibration plate or I'm doing this osteogenic loading thing, or I've got this new nutrient or vitamin or pill that I'm taking. That's great. Some of those can be really, really helpful additions, but they're not going to be a full plan. 
Because if you zoom out and look at every single thing that has to be done, the osteogenic loading is not going to address a nutrient deficiency, or it's not going to address digestive issues, or it's not going to address a parathyroid tumor. You know, none of those things are going to be addressed by a vibration plate either, or by a single pill. So you have to zoom out and look at the full picture. But in terms of whether somebody should or should not incorporate it, I think it could be a complement to a plan. Some Maybe an asterisk I would put there would be if you're somebody that has already, if you already have poor quality bone and you're fracturing multiple times, or, you know, you've got what you don't want to go do is then load that, you know, put a maximum load on bones that you're already fracturing that are already poor quality. You would not want to do that. Uh, so just keep those things in mind as you go and you approach some of these different technologies that are out there. I think that's very reasonable. And we had Dr. Barry Tan on in the fall, and I was delightfully surprised to learn about tocotrienols and anato and bone health. Is this something that you are using with your clients right now or your clinicians are using with their clients? It's something that really I found I was humbly, very humbly interested, invested in learning more about the role of anato and bone health. Barry Tran. Yeah. He's done so much research and uh, tocotrienols and vitamin E. He's been doing this over three decades. I mean, he is like the leading person in this PhD in chemistry and biochemistry. What he talks about is the gamma and delta tocotrienols mm -hmm. are the best forms. And in terms of bone health, there are quite a few studies, especially in animals that have been done that are showing that not only does it improves or helps improve bone formation, it's reducing bone resorption or breakdown. It's helping improve the bone strength and reducing oxidative stress. All of those things are helping the overall picture. Will it be beneficial to have more studies in, in people to see the long-term effects of this? Absolutely. But I think it's really promising to see that with the work, especially in the work he's already done. Yeah, it's definitely compelling because I, I think there are still a lot of women in particular that are fearful of taking hormones, but they're willing to take a tocotrienol or a natto as a kind of bridge therapy, if you will, until they're more comfortable. A couple of people asked about dichotomous earth, that somehow that has some bone supportive aspects that I was not aware of, but I said I would ask you nonetheless. It's not something I particularly recommend. Yeah. And then in terms of, I think a lot of times people ask about silica content and things like that too. Silica is important for your bone health. Bamboo is a source of it. Their horsetail extract. I, you know, when I first heard horsetail, I actually thought, I was like, do they really put horse's tail in this? But it's not actually a horse's tail. It's something different than that. So those are some sources of silica. And then uh, cucumbers, for example, that's another source of silica. So there are ways and there's silica in a variety of different plant foods that we're eating also. So it's not like you just have to go take this spoon of dichotomous earth and, you know, this chalky substance and take it down or mix it into your water. And gosh, I don't want to misspeak here, but I'm not sure if taking lots of dichotomous earth can actually potentially have issues with kidneys or cause kidney damage long-term. Have you well, read I think that? You can get a lot of heavy metal exposure. That's actually why I don't personally recommend or use it, but because it was, I was asked multiple times, I was like, maybe there's something I'm unaware of. And I did do a little bit of research, but didn't see anything that was compelling. And I agree with you that some of the components of some of these binders do have benefits, but I think it has to be taken in the context of everything else. Like there's a lot of different reasons we develop bone issues and there's multiple, you know, interventions that we can utilize that are very effective. So to kind of wrap things up, what are your top three recommendations for bone health? Like if someone's listening and maybe they're not even aware what their DEXA scan is, but they're perimenopausal, menopausal, or if there's a male listening that's in andropause, and yes, men do go through andropause and are at risk. You know, we talked about some of the risk factors. They are at risk. One thing we didn't talk about, let me just interject this quickly. There's a genetic susceptibility. So if you're a thin Caucasian or Asian female, you can be at risk. Obviously we mentioned the smoking, alcohol use, but just understanding if you haven't yet done the testing, but you want to do some things that are beneficial for bone health, what would be your top three suggestions? Just blanket recommendations. Number one is if you don't have a bone density scan, go get one, get your objective data. You know, if you've got a daughter or somebody else to, maybe if it's not even just for you or a son that has digestive issues or something like that, go get a bone density scan, find out where you're at. Then 
go get you know an active bone loss test, a serum CTX or something like that to see if it's elevated, to see if maybe there's a root cause issue that needs to be addressed. Explore that root cause issue. Figure out what the root cause issue is. Uh, you know, we help people with that, but there's also plenty of functional medicine practitioners out there that can help with that, figuring out the root cause issue. And then the other part of this is make sure your nutrition and your stress and your sleep are dialed in. Uh, in terms of stress, we just talked about this, that if you've got high stress all the time, ongoing, you're a worrier, incorporate some healthy meditation practice. I know for me, being a Marine, it took me a full year just to get to the point where I felt like I knew how to meditate properly. And now it is a non-negotiable daily practice for me. In the past, I would actually laugh about it, that I thought meditation was kind of laughable. And now I'm like, how could I, couldn't live without this at this point. So cultivate a healthy meditation practice. Sleep, you have to sleep. It is pretty well documented. If you've got poor sleep, it's going to reduce your bone quality. So make sure you're getting seven, eight, nine hours a night if you possibly can. Uh, I know that's not always possible for everybody, but try to at least get seven. And then the other part of this is nutrition. Anti-inflammatory diet, some of my favorite foods to incorporate would be uh, sardines and mackerel with the bones in. Absolutely love them. The reason I like the bones in is because they've got protein. They've got the all the minerals in the right ratios that nature put them in that you need for your own bones. And if you're on an anti-inflammatory diet and you've had to remove dairy or something like that, or you're not incorporating that in your plan, you still need to get calcium and other nutrients. And those bones can be a really helpful source for that. And then omega-3 fatty acids are also in those fish. And those are like dampeners of inflammation. So I really like those. Arugula. Arugula is another one of my favorites. I love arugula uh, for quite a few reasons. So try to incorporate that into a salad. Saute it as maybe a side dish or something like that. That could be good. And then vitamin C rich foods. Make sure you're incorporating those because as I talked about before, that's really, really helpful for developing and maintaining a healthy skeleton. Uh, so that's from the nutrition perspective. And then the last part of this, you need to exercise. You can be taking all the supplements you want. You can be eating all the mackerel, the sardines, the arugula, the vitamin C rich foods, the berries, all that stuff. You could do all that and not build bone or be able to build bone strength because you didn't provide any stimulus to help. So you need two different types of stimuli to build your bone strength. You need muscle pulling on bone and you need impact. And the most effective interventions are going to use one or both of those things in combination. So a lot of times people are just told, go do some weight bearing exercise, go do some walking. Well, I can tell you walking is not going to be enough to build bone it may help you maintain maybe on, on the lower portion of your body, but it's not going to help you build bone strength. So yes, absolutely walk, but just be aware that's not going to be enough. And then also be aware that if you're only incorporating non-weight bearing exercise, which would be your swimming or your cycling as your only forms of exercise, that also has to be addressed. You have to have the other form of exercise, which is resistance training. This has to be a part of it. And this could be done with dumbbells or barbells or resistance bands or things like that. And you can get to a point where you're providing enough of an intensity and a stimulus in a safe way that is going to get you to a point where you're actually building bone strength. Those would probably be some of the biggest pieces that I would say you need to touch on. Well, this has been fantastic. I have learned so much. I know listeners will as well. Let them know how they can connect with you, how they can work with you. I know that there's a book coming at some point in the future. I'm going to manifest that happening for you, yes. but let people know how to connect with you on social media and your website. You can always find me on bonecoach.com and always on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and things like that. But what I'd like to do for your audience. And if it's okay with you, Cynthia, is maybe we can, in the show notes, leave my free Stronger Bones Masterclass for them. It's got a free bone healthy recipes guide that comes with it too. And it's going to walk them through step-by-step step everything that they need to be doing to start getting on the path to improvement and stronger bones. And they could share this episode also with somebody that has 
osteopenia or osteoporosis that needs to hear this information. But I would say the best starting point is the link in the show notes that Cynthia, if you don't mind. We Happy to share it. I actually listened to it and watched it the other night. Awesome. Well, that's where you can find me. And yeah, we've got programs that help people build stronger bones that have helped people, a lot of people at this point. We've got a thriving community of over 100,000 people at this point too. That's awesome. Thank you again, my friend. Thanks. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.